Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with the co-founder of The Light Phone, Joe Hollier. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I really love this idea. You know, obviously with the world gone crazy with their smartphones and everything, you guys intentionally built and designed a phone to be used as little as possible. Let's take a trip back to when you ran your first crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter for the Light Phone version one that it could only send and receive calls. Where does this idea start? You know, what inspired you guys to create the Light Phone and go on to talk about, you know, how you guys migrated that into adding additional features into the Light Phone 2? Totally. So I guess to step back, that campaign happened in May of 2015. But Kaiway and I actually met September 2014. It was inside of a Google-sponsored incubator, sort of an experiment that came out of the Google Creative Lab that was, if we give designers some guidance and resources, would they not breed a new kind of technology startups? So they were really interested in us building our own smartphone apps. And they were teaching us on a deeper level how and why some of the various apps were being built and funded. And so for Kai and I, we learned on a much deeper level just sort of some of the business models and how they affected the smartphone experience. And something we learned was that retention, how many hours a day does the user spend with your product, was a critical metric for a lot of these startups. And so they would engineer the products to really keep people hooked because the business models were around offering a free service that could be infinitely scalable and to sell ads and collect data. And and then, you know, that aspect is kind of known, but definitely creeped us out. But then we saw every app sort of claiming to make the world a better place. And we thought, you know, could be any more connected possibly make us any happier? You know, we were already feeling personally habitually overwhelmed. And everyone we talked to sort of shared that sentiment. So, you know, we thought about a lot of things, but our initial experience with the internet was kind of a big inspiration in which there was a really clear divide of when you were online and offline. You know, when the internet truly lived just in a computer connected with a modem. And we thought, you know, what if we were able to give that sort of same on-off choice to users with their smartphones to be able to go away, maybe put up an away message and unplug for a couple of hours here and there, but without, you know, necessarily going back 
for good, you know, just sort of be a nice way to, to disconnect for a couple of hours. So that was really how the initial light phone idea came to be as a sort of casual second phone, like how we have different shoes for different occasions. The light phone was a way for us to unplug, to do the things that we like the most, but still have that lifeline, a phone call. I don't think anyone would disagree that having a phone for just emergencies sake alone is an important thing. So we went through that program and we prototyped the idea both on a hardware level, but also just on the conceptual level by, you know, giving users flip phones and sort of simulating the experience that we've since coined going light uh, because the light phone really does represent an experience. And that's why we coined the philosophy designed to be used as little as possible because it's not about what the light phone is capable of doing in terms of any sort of features. It's about, making the light phone as invisible as possible so that those things that I'm doing with my life, those people that I'm sharing that time with, that's really the focus of, uh, of the going light experience. So three years later, you guys have shipped what over 10,000 phones now for the light phone version one. Yep. That, that is correct to over, I believe 50 different countries. So it really was a kind of universal phenomenon that we experienced, not limited to any sort of demographic or geographic limitation. So when you guys decided to go super light, let's say on version one, what was the process there in terms of creating the product and deciding what features to include or more or less what features not to include in that process? We started with the what we considered the bare minimum, just phone calls. And so we, like I said, we did this little user testing project where we gave about a dozen people flip phones and we provided them a way to turn on and off call forwarding to those flip phones so that they could simulate what the light phone experience might look like. And we learned a few things. One, there's sort of this, you know, initial anxiety when you go light. It's, it's really not, you know, just perfect out of the gate. You really feel some sort of withdrawal, which I think speaks to the, the power of the light phone. But, you know, after you're sort of able to cross that wall of FOMO, so to speak, it really became a magical experience. But what we learned was when we looked at the phones and studied the history, although these users had a wonderful time, you know, some described it as the most relaxing weekend they've ever had, you know, just on these short trips, no one actually made any phone calls. So it sort of taught us that the value of whatever we were building wasn't in any sort of feature, but it was really about how can we get the user comfortably away from the smartphone and make that experience special. So we really, you know, out of that was born the, the philosophy trying to be used as little as possible. And we tried to apply that to all aspects of the experience from the form factor being the size of a credit card. You know, we said, what would be the most invisible form factor? What is it that we all carry on our bodies all the time, be it a credit card or a form of ID? There would sort of always be a place to put your light phone, whether it's like yoga pants or maybe a backpacking trip. There always kind of be a place. And then the interface being is stripped down to just the keypad. We really, you know, use that design to be used as little as possible philosophy throughout the entire experience. So, Joe, you and Kai, have you ever developed a product before or is this your first foray into product development? This was my first 
product in a very sort of technical sense. I'm a traditional graphic designer. I owned a skateboard company prior to this, but I'd never built anything, especially in the hardware space. Kaiway, however, prior to joining the Google program with me, he had actually worked on phone products as a project lead for, I believe, over a decade. So that certainly helped, obviously, the learning curve of product development, setting all of that up and getting it done properly to deliver a phone as promised. Completely, yeah. Kaiway brought so much expertise, experience, as well as just connections within the telecom space that I think I can confidently say it would not be possible without. So let's talk about the crowdfunding campaign version one for the Lightphone One. How much time did you guys spend preparing for that original campaign? And how did you know that running a crowdfunding campaign was going to be the best way to launch your product out there? Yeah, so we were lucky in that we were in this program, so we were more or less completely focused on the light phone for about a school year worth of time from September to May. But really in preparing for that particular campaign, it was about one month that we really started combining the assets and getting ready to launch that campaign. And I think we realized that it had to go the crowdfunding route because in the nature of the program, we were meeting with a ton of investors and just general technology thought leaders. You know, we got some great validation about our idea, but I think we realized that it was so out of the ordinary for the general trajectory of where the technology space was going that we weren't going to be able to find enough investment without seriously proving that people might want this idea. So I think we kind of reached the point where, you know, we didn't, we were, so, we were bootstrapped and it was like, we need to launch this and really show that the world is interested if we're actually to bring this thing to life. So I think the, the Kickstarter really became that, oh, dare I say, judgment day for, for us in the project. We always talk a lot about how the the month or two leading up to launch and how important it is. What were some of the things that you did pre-campaign for version one that you did differently for version two now? I mean, pre-campaign for version one, we really didn't have a ton of press contacts. We had made a press release, but we really tried to gather allies within our worlds of design. So, you know, speaking to mentors and people, that we admired, either, you know, ex-teachers sometimes, or sometimes people that we had just admired and were cold calling. And we, we would, you know, not just ask them to share about our idea in a selfish way, but actually to meet with them for coffee and try to get some feedback. And then when it came time to launch, it was a little bit more natural. They, you know, they were sort of rooting for us. So we were able to get a lot of natural support within the design community so that when we launched, you know, we had some people really backing us from day one. Interesting. So your first campaign, you guys launched on Kickstarter, and your second campaign, you guys launched on Indiegogo. What was the decision process there? There's a variety of factors when it came to the second phone's launch. You know, we were speaking both platforms actually quite closely, but Indiegogo seemed to be able to offer us more support and as a super small team without our own press resources that was super helpful you know just being able to they did some user testing with us so we were able to run our campaign by strangers and really see what someone who's never heard of the project was able to 
understand from our, our campaign. So we were able to optimize with some of that resources, as well as on the back end, some of the, the ways that they organize the perks made a little bit more sense for, for our internal operations. It was a close decision, but I think we ultimately chose the Indiegogo platform because of its back-end support. Do you think you would have raised as much on Kickstarter? I do. I think, you know, for the most part, it's really about what you bring to the campaign in terms of, like, what eyes you're able to get. And for us, it tends to be a very press-driven campaign. So I think, you know, those articles would have been written regardless of if it was Indiegogo or Kickstarter, and I have a feeling that we probably would have raised similar funds. So with all of the marketing efforts that you put forth into both your projects, where do you think you saw the biggest return on investment? It was definitely in terms of press. Would you say there was one press outlet or a couple that drove the most traffic or sales? For the original campaign, it was very clearly a TechCrunch article that launched about one week after the campaign launched. That article not only took us over our campaign's goal, but it also snowballed into dozens of other articles from similar publications that had heard about it on TechCrunch. And now we saw a little blurb on time.com and abc.com. So it really helped spread the message of amongst a much larger audience. The second time around, there was a lot of really good press, but it was harder to pinpoint it to one specific article that really pushed us over the edge. Interesting. So what about what tips would you have for someone else looking to crowdfund their tech product like yours? I mean, I really think that getting as much feedback and connections, but really from the aspect of feedback from people that you admire that are potentially working in that space, because they'll be the best evangelist that you can have to support your project. Being able to find an interesting way, not just in a like you know selfish way, reach out to these people to get some feedback about your idea, and then you may end up bringing them on as evangelists, and they may be the first ones to tweet about your project on day one. Or, you know, that might be the validation that the press needs to say, oh, wow, this is an interesting product in this space. What was the biggest surprise that you had in either campaign? Especially in the first campaign, I think it had to do with the overall reach. I think Kaiway and I were sort of naive in thinking that it would be very much a demographic similar to us in big cities here in the U.S. and to hear from a variety of people across all demographics all around the world. I think our original campaign, we got backers from 72 different countries. So I think that universal reach just really blew our mind to see just how big this problem actually was. So let's talk a little bit about your experience with your backers. Uh, How much feedback have you gotten? How have you gone about managing that? And then have you gone about, you know, talking with these customers or these backers in terms of the products that you're bringing to life now? The community is really the best thing that you can get out of a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, for example, with the second launch, we've really tried our best to engage with the users through a variety of surveys so that, you know, we're not just making assumptions about what we think the users will want exactly in the phone, but it's helping us to prioritize our development decisions exactly over where their priorities lie as our future users. And I think they respect that relationship a lot. You know, being heard is 
a great feeling. So it's a sort of win-win. You know, we're showing them that we're listening and they're feeling respected by us and in the loop, as well as we're gaining valuable insights that are, you know, turning into tangible development tasks. So it's been a really interesting way to bring them into that design process. I think on the original phone, um, we used them less in the initial design process. We, we sort of learned from that mistake. And after launching, we were really listening closely to the feedback. And I think that feedback's what ultimately decided, or at least inspired us to, to launch the second campaign. So what challenges do you anticipate now that you guys have overfunded your second campaign by so much? I think anyone working in the hardware space knows that there's no real such thing as overfunding. You know, there's so many enormous costs, but it's really about, I guess, prioritizing and making sure that we deliver exactly as promised and and to to be really smart with those resources because we're definitely in a much more comfortable situation, but, you know, there's a lot of unexpected cost, and the second light phone is a more ambitious project. So it's really about, you know, being conservative with, with those funds and, and staying laser sharp to the goal, you know, to, to the original goal. As you launch these campaigns, you'll see lots of users say, well, if only it had this, if only it had this as a project owner, you want so badly to, to make the pro- product work to a wider audience that sometimes you can dilute your idea or spread yourself too thin and not be able to execute properly. So to to stay focused and to know when to tell someone, you know, well, actually this phone might not be suitable for your needs instead of trying to make it a phone for everyone to really focus on, on what we know how to do best. Awesome. So where is next? What are you guys doing after this one? I mean, our, our heads are definitely pretty, focus around making sure we execute this light phone too perfectly. But I think, you know, there's a lot of other pieces that can make the experience more seamless. One side of that is becoming an MVNO or a carrier rather, so that when you buy the light phone, we could also provide the service behind the light phone if you're interested. I think that would really complete the full sort of light experience and allow someone to really get away from the smartphone ecosystem if, if they so choose. So that's one way that plan to support the light phone. We also have a lot of ideas for accessories or docks that, you know, might enhance the light phone for specific use cases. And I think there's a whole slew of product ideas we have that aren't phones that would still be products that would support that going light experience. And those are super exciting to think about, but we we need to always remind ourselves, focus and stay on track with getting this one right. Awesome. Well, Joe, this gets us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Yep, ready. So what inspired you to go light and become an entrepreneur? I mean, I think it happened really organically. I fell in love with the project and making the business was sort of the piece that had to happen to to bring that project to real life. But I think it has to be something you truly love. And if you're just starting a business for business sake, I don't think that can work sustainably long term. Absolutely. So if you could grab a beer with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Oh, wow. That's a good one. I think Steve Jobs, just because... There's so many different sides of this the character that I've heard about from so many different people. I'd love to hear what he thought of the light phone. <laughs> what would have been your first question? I think I, I would just really ask him about the light phone or ask him about what he thinks of the iPhone now, you know, 
having been around for over a decade, you know, does he have any regrets? Absolutely. What's your favorite book? My favorite book right now is The Book by Alan Watts. I've been buying that for my friends. It seems too simple, but perfect for your life, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Favorite destination to travel to? Right now, I've been going to Los Angeles a lot, mostly because I have friends. The weather's perfect, and the skateboarding is excellent. Awesome. Last question, Joe. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? I think it's in a pretty amazing place right now, the fact that individuals are able to launch things, but I, I think that We'll see more maybe specific platforms over time, harnessing communities of, you know, like-minded people, whether that's for technology hardware where we're in or the artful world or musicians. So I, I want to see crowdfunding taken to the further extent than just maybe the tech world that you see most commonly. Absolutely. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. Please give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about, where people should go and why they should check you out. Kaiway and I, we're building Light. It's a radically different technology company. We hope that we're creating a refreshing alternative to the sort of smartphone and technology monopolies that exist right now. And, you know, we started with the Light Phone 1. We're introducing the Light Phone 2. You can read about both of those phones at lightphone.com. But we're really here to pose some interesting questions within the tech space. I think so often startups and smartphone apps try to solve all of our problems, whereas the Light Phone, we try to bring a lot of questions to the user. Now that you're light, what do you want to do with your life? And, and so it's really about a series of questions and not necessarily solving all the answers indeed well this has been awesome audience thanks again for tuning in make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the notes the transcript links to the campaign and everything we talked about today and of course thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors the gadget flow and backer kit and if you love this episode as much as i do leave us a review on itunes joe thank you so much for joining us today on art of the kickstart appreciate it roy thanks everyone Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.